They say patience is a virtue, but I can wait as long as you do for a change. Call me insane, but that's my end. Hi everyone, um, and welcome back to Action Moment Hesitation Dare. I think it's our seventh episode um, of the Untelevised podcast. Is it the seventh, Hiseo? I think it is. I was going to say six, but now I think it's seven. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. all right. I think you're right. That's good. Okay, we've we've made it past the threshold where we don't remember anymore, and we hope that you've made it here with us and that you're still listening. Um, how are you, Fazeo, this week? Yeah, um, I'm good. Uh, personally, I'm good, but I do feel like there's been so much going on um, since we last recorded. Uh, just so much from the NSARS stuff going on in Nigeria to the voting against the free school meals to Corbyn being suspended. It's like every day I wake up and something more that I just cannot believe um, is on my notifications, BBC no- news notifications. Um, so yeah, just trying to navigate all of that. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, um, I mean, I just got back last night um, from a four-day residential with the young um, people we work with, the the young refugees and asylum seekers that I mentioned in one of our previous episodes. So I've just had four really intense days, but it's been super fun. Um, it does mean I've been a bit disconnected from the world. Um, and I got your message being like, they've suspended <laughs> Corbyn. Um, and also, I mean, obviously, we, I mean, we had the super tragic incident of the Iranian family that um, drowned on the boat over from across the the, the, the channel. And I've had people reach out yes. to me as a kind of, you know, uh, as, as an Iranian person working in the sector to kind of, you know, add to statements and stuff. And um, on that same topic, actually, um, the, the f- guest from our first ever episode on uprisings, Azar Majidi, is amongst um, quite a few... Iranian activists and ex-political refugees who've had their Facebook and Instagram accounts blocked by Facebook the last week or so as part of all this shadow ban stuff that's happening. So they've been just cut off. Um, It's the way that they connect with activists on the ground in Iran. Um, So Dave actually got a petition out um, getting people to sign to kind of lobby Facebook to obviously reopen. Um, so yeah, um, I, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely share that in the bio. Yeah, we we should def- we'll definitely we'll definitely share that. If anyone listened to our first episode on uprisings, um, yeah, I think definitely if you could show your solidarity there. Um, so yeah, it has it is a f- full time. That's quite ironic because I know that um, Oza in her interview spoke about censorship on these platforms. So for her to now have her platform blocked. Um, just goes to show um yeah and we might have to do an episode on on something along these lines um at some point um but yeah but on a slightly lighter note um we've just come out of a session a workshop um at ethical consumers annual conference um and we were facilitating a session on a grassroots response to covid off the back of you know our last episode of people you know if you might have heard was on grassroots <laughs> um and so we got to kind of explore that with many loads of different people with consumers with businesses with other people in the grassroots sector that kind of wanted to take some learning from the grassroots sector and think about how we could almost move past COVID with that learning and build more sort of resilient communities, I guess, is what, you know, the, the focus of the conference was. Because of that, we thought, why not do an episode on ethical consumption this time? Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to learning alongside with the audience this week because I think of all the topics that we've covered so far, this is the one that I'm most interested in starting to <laughs> contribute to, but I'm probably the furthest from at the moment in my life. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to even going into the learn section. Let's go into the learn section now. <laughs> Okay, so ethical consumption, quite a big term, potentially quite easily interpreted very differently by different people. But we thought we would start 
right at the kind of real core level um, and define ethical, or at least try to define ethical. Ethical is a really big word. It gets used a lot. Um, a lot of brands throw it around, but really in its core essence, what does it mean? Um, I'm going to really geek out here because <laughs> I did philosophy at, um, I studied philosophy at uni and I studied ethics and I find all of this kind of very abstract stuff quite interesting. But um, I mean, in essence, ethics or the sort of study of ethics is literally very practically about human behavior, what makes it good or bad, what is right and wrong, how do we define right and wrong, um, how do we come up with ethical principles that a society might live by. So ethical, in theory, sort of refers to just, you know, ethics, I guess, refers to anything that discusses that. And then ethical, I guess, is if you've almost done well by those guys, once you've decided what ethics are and what the guidelines are, then if you are ethical, then I guess you're following them. But even what the guidelines are is obviously very open to interpretation. And so many philosophers and thinkers have spent, you know, have written books and books and books trying to decide how we decide what's ethical. And, you know, just you know, go and go and look into this if you like. And there are so many books these days that maybe are more like introduction to philosophy, introduction to ethics. Like it doesn't have to be super, super heavy. Um but, you know, people have explored whether it's simply the outcomes of an action that make it good or bad. Is it the intention of an action that makes it good or bad? Like some popular theories are about things like um, how many people does an action harm? Like, you know, the, an action that harms the least people is the most ethical. And so anyway, it, it gets quite it can go on for a while. <laughs> But that's isn't there always the um, that example they give where it's something like if you're you're driving a car and um, you have to cra you're going to crash and you're going to collide with some pedestrians. Um, do you swerve left and hit the one businessman or do you swerve right and hit <laughs> the three children or something? And then it's the whole idea of, oh, most people might say the businessman, but then that businessman employs 100 people and they would be out. And then <laughs> so this is one of the reasons why I actually had a chance to do a module in philosophy and I dropped out very quickly. because <laughs> You didn't know who to crash into. I was like, I can't cope. I can't crash into anyone. I'm just going to have to stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, and we've discussed in our previous episodes, we've often referred to kind of maybe the, you know, the micro level things that people do in their daily lives versus the really macro level stuff that concerns society as a whole. And I guess ethics can be quite different maybe when it's just about how you might treat your friend when you've had a fallout or whatever versus maybe some principles we do at least as a society try to agree are not negotiable. Um, but I think that's what we're going to kind of see in this episode, like, is there even such a thing? Um, do we think there is such a thing anymore? Is that eroding? Is that changing? And when is it that something is about ethical decisions versus perhaps political decisions? And kind of are they the same thing? Yeah, I can see how that can be just really hard to distinguish because <laughs> yeah, it must be ourselves a task. It's personal on such a like. Yeah, it's so personal that, yeah, that's hard to distinguish. Um, one word that we actually also wanted to define before we move into our uh, guests is co-op, because one of the guests is part of a co-op, and we weren't sure whether that was a word common enough for many people to know what it means. So a co-op is essentially a different approach to business. Um, it means that the company is owned and managed by its members, or sometimes that means the staff. Uh, not by big investors or shareholders and that the profits are spread between those people rather than again shareholders or um, investors and often on the outside these companies can look like any other business um, so they might be something like the obvious co-op banks and co-op um, shops that we see on the high street or it might be a football club like Barca is a co-op or it might be something as simple as a small group of farmers that have come together to work in this way. Um, and in total, I think there are over 7,000 of them just in the UK. So it's, it's quite a popular way of working, even if it's not so much a well-known way. So our first guests on this episode are 
probably maybe the most obvious guests to have an on episode about ethical consumption and they are ethical consumer magazine um they are the ones who invited us to be part of their conference and we thought great that let's kind of explore a bit more with you um and they will tell you about how they were founded and and what they're about but you know they are a magazine as you can guess um i think they publish like monthly or bi-monthly but they basically try and give people as much guidance as possible on how to shop ethically and to they really do their research and their due diligence and for example one of the issues that they released during covid for example was online shopping where are the ethics there you know the best ethical soaps when everybody was suddenly buying soaps and so they try and stay with the times um but they literally go into everything tech banking everything that your money kind of touches um they try and really figure out like how people can make the best decisions about you can subscribe to their magazine it's a pretty well-known magazine but i'm going to let them speak a bit more so i had the pleasure of talking to anna which was um really enlightening actually as people that have to buy things to live, whether that's food, energy to keep warm, paying rent, having insurance, um, through to makeup <laughs> and all the other accessories that people choose to buy in their lives, where you put your money, we believe is an extension of our democratic voting system. So the money that where you choose to put your money is essentially voting for a world that you believe in or is contributing to a, a world of some sort. So using and trying to enable people to use that power in a way that can create a world that is kinder um, or aligns with the values of an individual is what we're trying to facilitate. And it started um, because at the time the South African boycott was starting um, uh, in protest against, about against that apartheid in South Africa, and at that time there was a lot. There wasn't really a place where you could go to really understand the ties and links between companies um, and products being made from and exported from South Africa. So ethical consumer set itself up originally to kind of try and offer that space to to put corporates under the spotlight and put pressure on them to stop their links and ties with regimes that people didn't agree with. And so that boycott um, movement is kind of at the core of where ethical consumer stems and comes from. Um, and then over the years, the rating system has expanded and grown organically. So as a magazine, we look at corporate ethics and we, we look at that from a very wide range of perspectives because um, one person's ethics isn't necessarily the same as another's. So um, the, the work or the research we look at covers um, a range of categories from environmental rights, human rights, workers' rights, um, to antisocial finance, political activities, um, habitats and resource destruction, um, it, and animal rights. It's, it's very wide ranging. And um, we do this to try and offer transparency to people, residents, citizens, consumers, um, about what they're putting their money into so that they can then make the choices with informed information. So Anna, you said a few things there that I, I was like, yep, this is kind of what we really want to get into. I mean, um, when you say ethical, and, and ethical is a really big word, um, yes. and, um, and you, uh, you touched upon the fact that that varies for different people, but in its maybe most basic form, how would you define the word, what would you describe the word ethical to mean? It's exploring um, values that we feel are good and right, I guess, for, for us living on this earth and planet. So I guess when I talk about ethics, I'm, I'm referring to a value set that brings us in alignment with a world where we live within planetary boundaries, we're actively restoring or at least maintaining the health of the ecosystems that we rely on. We are facilitating thriving communities um, and we are creating a society that respects and looks after all of its members. And that includes non-humans as well for me. You spoke about the 
um, ethical kind of toolkit, um, the ethical living sort of toolkit. So that's interesting. So that's actually something I guess you guys have tried to come up with because it's so vague or so broad, you've tried to come up with a framework. Is that what it sort of is? Um, yeah, so this is one of the projects that Ethical Consumer has partnered with the Permaculture Association on. And the idea was to create a toolkit that takes people on personal journeys um, to look at the impacts that their life has on other people, the environment and other systems, and to create a reflective journey where people think about their impact and what they want to change. And it aims to create a supportive community around people as part of this process to enable that change to happen. And it, the toolkit aims to facilitate change at an individual household, community and political level. So again, it's like very big ambition <laughs> and we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're in the process of um, welcoming lots of different partners on board to criticise it, rip it apart, look at what's been done already, what's worked, what's not worked, what's been omitted, whose voices have been omitted from the creation of uh, toolkits that have already been made. Um, and it, it's really, it's been a big learning journey for everyone involved in it. So would you say that ethical consumer actually aligns with a political ideology or is, or is it very much, you know, is that something you'd be able to, that you would say that do you stand against certain things fundamentally politically or is it constantly just like a kind of evolving human process to you? We believe in a democratic society that represents the people that live within it. So a lot of our work is challenged at, um, challenging corporate power and democratizing corporations so that they're owned by the communities that rely on them. That's why we're a co-op and why we advocate for cooperatives and other democratic business structures um, and alternative economies that also democratize the economy. We have an annual political strategy day to make sure that the politics of what we're doing and the reasons why we do what we do doesn't get overrun with thinking about how we survive as a business and all of this mm -hmm. and at our last political strategy day the the things that we chose to prioritize are climate change and just transition that's a bit like the core the core strategy of this year for us is thinking and working around that um, and obviously at the moment we're seeing the rise of the far right and people like Trump um, and so we've been looking at boycott Trump campaigns and facilitating information to support that as well. So Anna, I mean obviously given what you guys do as a magazine maybe I can sort of guess the answer to this but I mean do you think that ethical consumption is possible then? I mean are, is your is the ethical way of life that we speak about and consumerism are they are they you know are they in any way like innately incompatible or do you feel that they can actually be made um that consumption can genuinely be ethical like in the world that we live in so that's a good question so um if you ask most of our co-op most of us are anti-consumers we're trying to actively live outside and reduce <laughs> our reliance on corporations the name ethical consumer came at a time where that that term wasn't really used and so we've become known for that name and that brand. So we try to focus on core essentials so there are some things that everyone in our current economic system relies on. Most people will have a bank. Where that bank puts its money affects hugely the sort of society and setup and infrastructure that's being invested in. Again, most people have um, heat their homes and rely on energy companies to do that. We all have to eat. So where you eat, um, unless we're privileged enough to have access to a garden or access to land or something like this, you're probably going to rely on accessing food from markets. So again, there are, there are some key essentials that most people rely on. And so that's where we feel that the power of the ethical consumer is profound and really can shift things. 
but ultimately consumerism is not the be all and end all ultimately we want to see a society where people have their needs fully met and that can't all be met by a market necessarily so we're, we're trying to create journeys where we shift people beyond that like passive consumer image into being a critical citizen an active citizen and ultimately uh, a productive agent in itself which is why we've teamed up with the permaculture association um, we're interested in how you move away from just consuming to also producing and that can mean different things um, for different people in different places and contexts so it feels maybe a bit at the moment as though the main way in which a lot of companies are becoming somewhat aware of ethics is the environment and that sustainability tends to be the thing that people discuss and then maybe a lot of energy is put into sort of into that and obviously it's debatable how well they really do it but that's the brand that they put forward maybe even sometimes at the expense of still horrific workers rights for example so maybe actually a higher consideration for the environment and maybe even now a trend of maybe animals if we, if we look at things like veganism or whatever but maybe weirdly enough like it feels like people are rated kind of the, like lower on that scale i mean what, what are your thoughts like again on that like on that spectrum of things that kind of need to be in place so we consider these the issues that we look at to be completely interlinked and in like interconnected you can't separate the treatment of humans from the treatment of the environment or other animals um and so to to be considered ethical in the light of our ranking a company or an organization has to be trying to address everything and thinking holistically about its actions and what it's doing focusing on singles single issues isn't enough particularly if it's come about as a result of a David Attenborough documentary or some other like fashionable event that's happened so it's really important that um it's not only addressing impacts holistically but it's actually embedding ethics into the core operation and design of an organization and business which is why in our ratings we also look at company structure and type and governance so I, I think I'm fair to say as a co-op we don't believe that for-profit companies have a role into the future it you can't run a company for the benefit of shareholders and still make business decisions that are aligned with what's good and right for um, the environment and the workers involved in the company and the other people and communities linked to that company and so i guess another um, factor that I, that probably comes up a lot is that the minute companies then are seen as more ethical and they obviously have to put much more effort into doing that and because of the way the world is set up being ethical is probably more expensive i mean for the for the company and then therefore also for the consumer um where does that then start to feature um in the ethical process you know so a company perhaps does everything it can to make its products more ethical they have to produce them therefore perhaps at you know higher rates and higher wages and all these things and then therefore perhaps the people that have access to buy them have to be more affluent um and maybe there and then perhaps the ethical um burden or responsibility of the consumer also starts to fall a bit based on their you know privilege and so on so i mean again where how does that kind of feature into the, the process for you so first of all company change and um consumer change isn't enough which is why we also work at the policy level for as long as we have an economic system that doesn't internalize true costs of production you're going to end up in a situation or can end up in a situation that you describe where the company increases costs of production and then pass them to the consumer, which makes products inaccessible. Um, so it's worth saying that that policy levels, that systemic change has to go hand in hand with that change within companies and within communities. So yes, that you're, the situation you described often happens, um, but also there are really interesting um, models emerging all around the world of how you can embed ethics in such a way that it doesn't pass on the cost onto the consumer and this is where you start looking at alternative um 
models of what it means to be a business in the, the century going forwards and what that looks like. So I, I do a lot within the food world, so I'm going to pull on food examples here. So in Lancaster, we've got um, a surplus food depot called Egg Cup that's now set up a, a food buying co-op that then distributes fresh produce from local producers to food club network in Lancaster that's made of, of people living in food insecurity or on the verge of insecurity. Um, and so through collectively shaping and coming together, they've increased their power to then access good quality produce um, that they wouldn't have accessed otherwise through going to the, the industrial food market, I guess. Um, and then there are examples of places like Unicorn in Manchester. So they've set themselves up at a scale slightly larger than the average whole food shop, which means that they can buy in larger quantities and reduce the cost down. Um, so you end up with um, what feels and looks like almost like a supermarket, but everything within that has gone through a very rigid um scrutiny around the ethics and what the products are linked to um, and the cost is comparable to a supermarket so you have models that are trying to innovate in the restrictions of the current system and then and then there are there are so many great projects and models coming out that don't work within our current economic system so you have community gardens that are growing and exchanging labour for produce and distributing surpluses to local communities via community centres. Um, you have people setting up access economy type models. So you pay a much lower um, amount to access tools or equipment that you wouldn't necessarily be able to afford if you owned everything yourself. Um, and then if we go to housing co-ops and all of those sort of models, there are, there are really interesting ways of making housing affordable. And also in the energy world, you again have really good examples of community energy ownership. Policy change has to happen. There are ways to work around restraints to make sure that we're making ethical options accessible. But ultimately, we do need to change the system. So everything we talk about just becomes the norm. It's not something based around how much money you earn or where you live and what you can access. And um, I mean, Anna, how have you? What what shifts have you guys seen with consumerism um, since COVID? I and mean, I, I've I've received your magazines and I saw that you did one specifically on online shopping. Obviously, like suddenly evaluating actually where people could shop more ethically online. That seemed like an obvious step, but. Yeah, what have you seen? And I mean, has consumerism risen? Um, has it, you know, I mean, you, you, it could have gone either way. You could assume people might buy less because they were earning less and doing less and not equally they were sitting at home all day online shopping. So it'd be interesting to hear what you think it's done, maybe both practically, but also to people's mindsets. If you have any sense of that, yeah, I appreciate that's a hard thing to evaluate. Yeah, I, I'm best drawing again on my, the food experience that and the stuff I'm linked with. So throughout this year, Obviously, this is against the backdrop of people being furloughed, being made redundant, um, and all of this. But people who have retained their jobs, they've had more expendable money because they haven't been able to do all the things that they maybe once thought were important. And so they've had savings. And we've seen a huge increase in interest in both ethical consumerism um, and in putting money into businesses and projects and work that aligns with people's values. So we have seen a boom in, so within food, we've seen a boom in organic food sales, particularly of like local veg box schemes and things like this. In fact, some haven't been able to cope with the rise in demand. And just um, ethical consumer itself, our subscriptions have gone crazy. We've never seen a period where so many people are subscribing to us. And I think that is an indication that people really want to use this moment to shift things. It's offering a moment of shock and an opportunity to transform. Whether our government takes that opportunity is another question. And then again, the emergence of all the community aid groups has just been incredible. And from that, you've seen initiatives and projects emerge that aren't based around a market and an economy that fits within our current um, 
capitalist economy. So again, you've seen examples of people moving beyond that passive consumer to be like empowered citizens within their own communities, which has been really inspiring. At the same time, as restrictions eased, some of those big booms and trends started to slow down. Um, so how we maintain that interest, how we enable that interest to continue to be invested in in what we're describing as ethical living. Um, that's the key question. How do we build on that momentum and how do we really galvanize it and keep it going forward? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I totally feel you. I mean, um, like, I run a grassroots project, um, as you know, and, and we've, we saw and have st <laughs> still seeing the biggest boom ever in online donations and people donating money um, to us on our online platform and also offering to volunteer or offering us old laptops and things like that but, but financially like without really having to try that hard I was just almost getting donations through on our website every day yeah. and we had more of them in COVID than we've had in the whole four years or so of having a donation page in the years before. It's a bit, it's, as you say, like people sitting at home, maybe having that spare cash that they used to go to dinner with and yoga classes with and whatever and feeling a real sense of maybe like reflection in their lives and you know maybe a bit of a deeper understanding of other people's suffering as well so i think it, it's been a really interesting time and we're also thinking how on earth do you um keep that like how do you build on that yeah um, i guess the other trend is like you said that shift to the online world so a lot of in my experience a lot of the alternatives um in my area don't really have an online presence so this year like it's really forced people to think about that and if we're relying on the internet to stay connected uh, it brings up huge questions around who owns this infrastructure mm. who allows us to connect and um that's quite scary when you start going down that route because there's huge corporate monopolies within it and tech world that definitely seems like an episode in itself, actually. Now yeah. I'm thinking that I'm gonna, we're going to put a pin in that. But um, so, I mean, Anna, just um, as a final kind of thing to leave people with, um, if people are new to this, if they're overwhelmed by it, if even if they're not so new to it, like what are maybe the sort of lowest hanging fruit in a way? You know, if you are a bit like, I can't do everything or I can't afford everything or whatever, like are there some are there tips you give to people as like these have the biggest impact you know for, for, for maybe a little bit less of your effort or, or so on you know what where would you start people off move your money <laughs> that's like oh, yeah. yeah the bank every most people have a bank to survive today and banks really are shaping um the whole structure of society and so making a simple switch of the bank you bank with is a really powerful and impactful action that we can all take. So this week I'm speaking to Molly James and Molly works for an organisation called Know The Origin and Know The Origin is actually Ethical Consumer's top rated fashion brand and they've given them that because of their commitment to the highest standards of fair trade, organic and fully transparent supply chains. They've written that from farm to factory, Know The Origin works with social and environmental focused businesses that are pioneering new ethical standards. Alongside their own label, Know The Origin have launched their own ethical marketplace made up of products that share their full origin and ethical impacts of where they were made. So we wanted to talk to them as a case study of a company that have ethics at their heart. Um, so I'll pass over to Molly to talk more about what that means in practice. We want you to know the origin of every single product that you buy. And I think that's very rare nowadays. So, you know, we want to stop the detachment of like, you don't know where your clothes are from because it's, it's made in India or Bangladesh. Um, like that's, that shouldn't be happening. We should know exactly, yeah, how those, work, those workers are treated, um, what, you know, working conditions they're under and that, that they're like fairly paid um, and respected. I don't know if you know, but in 2013, the Rana Plaza factory collapsed, killing 
about a thousand over a thousand people which is like hugely devastating and Charlotte was actually studying at this time um, at London College of Fashion so she studied buying and merchandising um, yeah and this she actually went out to Bangladesh when this happened and was kind of horrified at what was happening in the, the fashion industry and how this was allowed um, just workers yeah being under such poor working conditions and you know people knowing the manager knowing that this like the the health and safety wasn't good um, but no one doing anything about it so that was really how we started and like the mission behind it was this isn't okay and we want to create change within the industry to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that um, transparency is a really key way um, for us to do that so that's kind of where know the origin the name came from um, we started with our own own brand like fair trade and organic fashion line um, so that's like yeah women and men's basics of like 50 pieces so we worked with we work still work with women cooperatives in India um yeah so we know each stage of the supply chain Charlotte's visited every stage from the cotton farm to the factory um so we know that these factories and these suppliers are doing amazing things and treating their workers you know really well um not just fairly fairly paid but investing in their futures their education their families which is like super important to us um so yeah that's how we started and then over the last couple of years we've really expanded the platform to kind of yeah cater for ethical brands in lifestyle in home and beauty um as well as other fashion brands so we're really yeah seeing that need for there's small and big businesses out there that need a platform to grow and kind of having that um, one shop stop if you like for everything ethical and making it really accessible for people to go to one place and shop everything they need and kind of know where that product's come from um, we recently launched our new website which actually has a traceability map on there um, which you can see the very origin of of each brand's um, yeah supply chain and and where their clothes are made which is amazing and then you kind of have imagery of like meet the makers so the makers behind the clothes and just telling that story of each brand is like super important to us it's it's interesting to me because in all the conversations we've had so far um there seems to be quite a personal starting point maybe for people where their eyes have been awakened to something and then that takes them on a journey to contribute into changing that yeah. which um for me personally is really amazing um but let's reel it back a little bit so this episode is all about ethical consumption but let's start by seeing how do you you all know the origin define ethical yeah ethical and sustainable are very like buzzword things at the moment and I think that's so hard because we've seen you know fast fashion brands just use them to like hop on the trend so it's really hard to even know what ethical is nowadays um for me it's it means treating the environment and the people people with care respect throughout your supply chain and like educating and helping consumers to like understand and reattach to like the origin of their clothes and really bringing the two together because you know there's people that have hours working to make these clothes and if we're not acknowledging them or treating them right then I think that's that's just awful like if it was on our doorstep we'd be doing something about it um so even you know if they're in India and Bangladesh that doesn't mean we don't stand up for them and their rights like they should be given so for Know the Origin we have 20 kind of our, our standards that we've formulated um that each brand is com- compared against and we kind of split it into people planet and purpose um under kind of those three subheadings so in the people category you know there's fair and safe working conditions there's modern slavery like detecting modern slavery and doing something about it there's like freedom of association um so making sure you know they have the right to speak up um yeah in trade unions and things like that and yeah that's just a few but um that's kind of the things that we yeah strive towards and I think ethical does mean a lot of things nowadays and a lot of brands can't do everything because that's you know no one's perfect not even the best ethical brand so it's just I think striving to do more and do better kind of every day. I would agree there's definitely certain words that have become buzzwords and that people have maybe jumped on because they know that they're popular or they know that 
ironically, it might help them sell more, which maybe would be the opposite yeah. of the the um, initial reason for choosing to be ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, in that vein, do you think that ethics can be applied to consumerism? Or do you think that consumerism is inherently unethical? I mean, you spoke about, for example, like Bangladesh and the supply chains, et cetera. But mm. another thing you spoke about, modern slavery, we know that that's happening even here in the UK. Um, yeah. Up north, there's loads of factories and stuff where people are essentially mm. being treated um, very unethically. And consumerism obviously encourages consumption, constant consumption. So do you think that you can be ethical and a consumer or are they sort of like opposing forces? Yeah, I think you, you can. I think it's just... Um, like change your perspective of how you consume um is like the key i think in an ideal world like we wouldn't like need to consume anything that yeah we don't need to buy but i think yeah that's kind of unrealistic in this day and age i think people people enjoy you know shopping buying new purchases um supporting businesses i think there's yeah obviously a lot of fast fashion brands they're just churning out constant clothing like they don't even have seasons anymore it's just kind of every week is a season so I think that's you know made the rate of consumerism so much higher than it needs to be um I think that's just like you don't need a new new item of clothing every week so I think yeah it's like changing your perception of how you consume I think there's other ways you know you don't have to be buying from from brands you could be like going charity shopping um you could be like repairing and you know making your clothes last longer um doing like clothes swaps with your friends like there's so many different options of making consumerism like still fun but not like you don't have to be buying two pound t-shirts from primark like every week that kind of thing so i think it's just yeah kind of like educating and reading up on on things that really does matter and um supporting clothing businesses like ourselves that actually treat their workers fairly and um, invest back into the environment and um, kind of holding brand, other brands accountable for what they're not doing and really, um, yeah, pushing for change in that, in that way. I think consumerism, I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's just changing the way you consume. I would definitely agree with you that in the current system that we have, I can't see consumerism going away very quickly. Yeah. So for example, even during this pandemic, where you might mm. think that naturally things would slow down a bit just because purely because um, maybe people didn't have as much security around their finances or they weren't actually going anywhere. So maybe there was less reason to consume. We've actually seen the opposite with things yeah. like Amazon growing exponentially. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think people are so attached mm. to consuming? Yeah, that's interesting. I think, I guess people have been forced in this time to like pause, I guess, like the busyness of their lives, um, which means, you know, they have more time to focus on, you know, like homeware and spending more time, you know, working from home and that kind of thing. Um, I guess it's cutting down, like people have been cutting down costs of travel, um, whether that's going on holiday or just like traveling to work and that kind of thing. So, you know, maybe some people are finding they have more income like generally um I think everyone knows online shopping is very addictive and um it's like hard that you can't I guess go into shops as as easily and comfortably as you normally would so having that kind of online presence is hugely like important right now um I think a lot of businesses are kind of adapting to the current climate and you know launching their website or you know relaunching things um obviously amazon is is taken off in a big way and that's you know frustrating to see um but i guess our goal is to you know challenge amazon and all those other kind of marketplaces because they don't treat their work as well and having that kind of yeah marketplace like amazon is for like all things ethical is like our ultimate goal so it's encouraging you know to see people you know taking time to yeah like purchase things online even even if it's not ethical um i think more people are looking into small businesses and how to support like local areas um local businesses even um which is really amazing to see um so yeah it's like definitely encouraging but 
like frustrating at the same time. You do, so you just spoke about the idea of being sort of like the ethical version of Amazon, which um, when I think of uh, maybe ethical or sustainable fashion or sustainable shops or shopping local and stuff like that, I tend to always think of organisations that are quite small and maybe mm. at that smaller scale they can remain sustainable. So do you think it's possible to scale up and still keep to your true values of being ethical? Or do you think maybe somewhere within that growth you would naturally have to compromise some of the mora morals that you started with and the values that you started with? Mm, I think it's definitely possible. I think I think starting from the place of like we are sust like sustainable business is like the key to that. I don't think you can, I, think, I mean, you can, but it's really hard to, you know, if you've got like a hundred employees and you're a big business to then go back on yourself and find those like core, yeah, values of um, where you stand, I think. Yeah, we started, obviously Charlotte started um, Know the Origin and we've grown to like, we're a six man team now, which is amazing, but, you know, still fairly small. And, you know, there are days where I get super busy, like pretty manic, but I think having employees that really, you know, care about what you, what we're doing. And I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in, you know, sales and like retail is like competitive. Um, but I think it's just, yeah reminding ourselves as a business like where we started like why we started who we are and like who we're supporting in the work that we do and I think you know I have calls with brands um every day every week which is like amazing and hearing the stories of how other brands started and yeah it's really like amazing to hear and we just want to keep supporting supporting those brands and you know supporting the yeah, the fashion and the supply chains that we our own brand as well so I think yeah I think it's, it's definitely possible to scale up I think it's hard <laughs> um but what isn't hard you know, <laughs> you know what I mean so it's just yeah having those key values and sticking to them and like not really compromising yeah I, I would like to hope that it's possible too and I'd like mm. to hope that that's sort of like the future of where we're going it's just, I guess, hard when you're looking at the current state of things to identify some of these bigger organizations that have managed to stay true to, or even take this, this course or this route, I guess. Um, mm. And even sometimes, like you say, organizations that seem to have started in a good place. Um, mm. I don't want to say naturally, but maybe the pattern seems to have been given up on some of the values in exchange yeah. for um growth I guess which mm -hmm. I hope you'll prove to be the opposite of uh, <laughs> from sort of like a <laughs> the customer point of view um how accessible would you say ethical consumption is because I think it does sometimes have quite a bad rap of being quite expensive for example um yeah. or not being available to all types of people what what would you say to that yeah I think um it's kind of making those small changes to start with. Um, I think, yeah, it's definitely not affordable for everyone. And that's something we're continually working on. And yeah, as I said earlier, just changing like how you buy and how you consume. Um, so just like picking the small changes to start with and like building from there. So even if you can't do everything to start with, whether that's, you know, changing your, um, not using like face up makeup wipes, um, not disposing them, but just like reusing, you know, things you have around the house. If you have like spare cloth or spare fabric to use, um, there's like a lot of ways that you can, yeah, reuse and repurpose. And I, I don't think it has to be super um, expensive um, or just kind of with the fashion side of things being like, right, what do I need? Like absolutely need in my wardrobe and actually investing in a piece that might be slightly more expensive, but will actually last you a really long time. Um, and you actually get, like obviously get that kind of wear out of it. And that's something yeah we're super passionate about I think so on the website um we under each product we have like a cost per use section which cuts like breaks down so if you wore this garment so many times like this would this is how much it costs you each time which is I think really um useful for people to actually 
be like, okay, if I wear this so many times in a year, then I'm going to, you know, get my money's worth of it. Um, which is like a really interesting, yeah, perspective to have. Whereas like, if you're buying, you know, a two pound Primark top, like that's not going to last you very long. Like as much as you might have a lot, you can buy a lot of them. Like that's not going to sustain you. So I think it's, yeah, just kind of changing the way you think and the way you shop and making those small changes, whether that's going to your local kind of food waste shop and, you know, swapping the like basics like pasta, rice to start with. And then, yeah, kind of see where that goes. And you like, you might actually find that you save a lot of money in the long run because like packaging in food shops is that adds to your like spend. So just cutting down, yeah, things like that. Um, slowly I think does make a huge impact yeah I would agree um it sounds like it's largely about a change in mindset and like you say Mm -hmm. maybe spending 50 pounds on a t-shirt that you use 25 times hopefully more than 25 times but you see my guess (laughs) is better than spending two pounds on one t-shirt um yeah they equal the same cost per use but um yes it's about that shift in mindset I guess Mm -hmm. one of the things we like to do is give people sort of like practical things that they can do because I think theoretically a lot of this can feel really overwhelming and you mentioned a few practical things there but if there was just one thing that someone could do just to start what would you say is like this something that would have the biggest impact that's quite simple to start with sort through your your clothes and your wardrobe and actually question like how many times have I worn this in the last month or so? And if you haven't worn it in the last year, like, do you really need that item in your wardrobe? I think there's something really like cleansing about sorting through like your clothes and being like, do I need this? Do I not? And it's hard, like, especially people that, yeah, I'm a bit of a hoarder myself. So it's, it's like really hard to, you know, be like, no, I don't need this. And then actually it going to like a charity shop or, you know, a charity nearby and like actually supporting the work they're doing as well. Um, just having it. Yeah. Just having a really good clear out and just making a list of maybe the things that you'd love to like you, you need in your wardrobe, like additional things, um, not that you want, but that what you need and like making a list of like, these are things I'll purchase like throughout the year. And whether that's like each month or, you know, twice a year, that depends with, with your guest budget. So yeah, just breaking down that thing. I think it's really good to have like a accountability with that and, and being like, this is my list. Like, this is what I want to invest in this year. And yeah, kind of going from there. I, f- I think I find that really useful of like, right, if I get anything out of this list, like, do I really need it? That's great to know because um, I actually did that during uh, the depths of lockdown yeah. and I had cleaned every <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to tackle my wardrobe. Yeah. And I literally like, I've, I've managed to pare it down quite a mm. lot. And then I did actually make a list of, okay, need a few yeah. of this, this and this. Um, it's been extremely tempting, especially now that things are, quote unquote back to normal to see all the sell signs and think oh let me just go up and pick whatever's there but um I'm trying to stick to it so it's nice to know that that would be one of your top tips (laughs) I'm on the right path hopefully (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) um as well as being challenging for I guess the customers I know it must also be challenging for you as a business um what are some of the biggest challenges that you come across and who would you say or what would you say is to blame for them if anything Yeah, I mean, as a small business, we're challenged like every day. So um, there are a lot of challenges. Um, I think the main challenge first is kind of the high street fashion, like what they offer, the cheap alternative, like pricing and, you know, keeping up with that kind of newness, I guess, of of like products. Um, Because, yeah, people want to see new products and they want to, yeah, I guess, keep with the trends as well like that's kind of hugely important but I think yeah education is like a huge thing like very vital for us and really important I think we want to show consumers like you don't have to yeah like you don't have to support these high street fashion businesses that are basically creating a throwaway culture of you but you'll buy this you'll wear it once and then you'll throw it away or it will go to like waste um so that's just like really harmful and I think that's 
a huge um, industry that's a lot of people love, um, and it's like making billions of dollars. So um, billions of dollars, billions of pounds. Um, so it's just like, yeah, that's a huge kind of ongoing fight for us. I think we're trying to take it kind of step by step, and with each kind of blog that we do and um, kind of advice that we give, we, we kind of make the importance of taking action, like don't just read this blog, um, don't just, you know, scroll through this post, like you can actually do something about this. And that's kind of empowering consumers to, yeah, like make that decision and demand more from their high street fashion brands because um, at the end of the day, like customers are, they're going to listen to consumers like they're who buy, they're, they're who buy, like buys their clothes. So like as much as brands are going to, brands like us are going to, um, yeah, fight for change and show them what they could be doing in this industry. I think consumers are very important in that equation. Yeah, I, I really love what you said about um, encouraging people not only to to purchase from you but also to take action mm. and not only to read your blog but then take an action because I do think it's very easy to get caught up in thinking you're acting because you've retweeted something or because you've read something and forgetting that you actually need to yeah. physically act after <laughs> you've done these things yeah. and also um how you speak about I guess um refinding your own power um I think often you can feel quite powerless against like big corporations corporations and you can feel quite powerless when looking at big things like um climate change but actually we all have individual power and when that power is put collectively we we have the power to influence and determine how these things um go yeah. i guess my last question would be when would know the origins work no longer be needed or do you think it will always be needed yeah it's a tough one <laughs> um yeah, I think like the fashion industry, the retail industry is always evolving and like the co like competition is a thing and like businesses can't survive without, you know, competition and there, there are always going to be brands that are going to cut corners because, yeah, it's just like the easier route. It was like cut prices, that kind of thing. So there's always going to be that competitiveness, um, which is frustrating. Um, but yeah, like like the the end goal is like ideally all brands will be ethical and sustainable and um, there'll be no such thing as fast fashion, um, which would be amazing. Um, Cause you can't like, you can't produce clothes fast and not unlike treat your work as well. It's just like not, not viable. Um, so yeah, I think when every brand is kind of hundred percent transparent about where their clothes are made and they're implementing like ethical practices, um, for their workers and the planet um, like there is a long way to go and I don't like I don't think it will happen you know in the next five to ten years but um, yeah it's I don't I'm not sure if our I mean hopefully our work w will always kind of be needed in some way I think having a platform for like everything you need is like even taking the ethical out of it like people love going to one place and shopping everything. And I think if the norm eventually is like everything should be ethical, then we don't need to like market ourselves as ethical. Like that would be the dream. I think my sort of main thoughts really, um, looking back at a lot of the episodes we've done, you know, pretty much every episode people come back to the system is is you know maybe not working we might need to kind of change the fundamental system that we're in that seems to kind of almost be the way that you know every one of our guests has kind of you know come back to and I guess here we had people who were saying no like we think within the system we have we can do okay and this is what we're doing um and I guess it just kind of raises that question around there is the best you can do within the system and then perhaps the most ethical you could be if you went beyond the system and maybe they're not the same discussion yeah um that's sort of how I was left as well and I think that's the biggest maybe um sticking point for me I can't quite decide because I've always I think traditionally would side with we need to go beyond the system but I do see maybe the desire to work with what we have um 
and to try and make what we have better. I'm just always come back to feeling that that's so limited. What we can change within what we have is so limited, but I don't know whether it's enough, um, which is why I actually asked the question about growth within being an ethical business and is it really an aspiration to be the Amazon of anything? Um, because I just feel that when we have the system of capitalism, we will automatically adopt those ideals. Um, so even when something begins well, whether it stays on that trajectory is something that I can't quite grapple with and I'm not sure how I feel about. Yeah, I think it's almost that thing we've spoken about before, which is the maybe the short term and the long term. So, you know, right now the system's probably not going to change tomorrow. So actually in the meantime, um, is it, you know, do we need companies like this? And then people can, you know, like Molly said, kind of continue their consumerism, which they're probably not going to stop doing um, mm. versus do we alongside that work to kind of get rid of consumerism altogether or capitalism altogether and you know Anna was saying that they actually don't believe that for-profit companies have a place in the future like no matter how ethical perhaps if you are still yeah. fundamentally for-profit that's not a model that they perhaps think you know is is the way we should be going um but obviously at the moment that, that that's what we have and that's what people have to shop within and none of us can pretend that we don't shop yeah and to be honest it's funny because within capitalism I would even go further and wonder if just purely being not for profit makes you ethical um <laughs> because I think there possibly are quite a lot of not-for-profit businesses that working within this system aren't necessarily by nature of being not-for-profit ethical um but maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's a whole other ball game <laughs> well I mean you know it, it kind of speaks a bit to what Bo said in our last episode which was you know even in the charity sector where everybody's supposedly doing good and it's the good space there is huge distinction and there are people doing a lot less good than others so it's never that blanket right um and so maybe as you say just being not for profit is not even the, the step yeah. I mean it's really interesting because when you put ethical into the dictionary on Google um you know as we do when we check out our word definitions and stuff the example Google gives as a way of using the word ethical is literally um can a profitable business ever be ethical that is actually the example that comes up in the use of that word of, of all examples yeah. which is quite interesting yeah I, I do struggle with the idea of that and whilst I see the value in trying to make what we have better and maybe doing that alongside and trying like in this life I guess to live as best you can I just wonder if that means that we're not changing our ideology enough to ever get to the point where there will be substantial change I don't know I mean I'm human as the rest of us and it's something I'm working out I guess but it's just one of those things that I'm not fully convinced on I guess but I do still applaud the the sentiment of um another thing though just a, a bit of a side note that struck me was when anna mentioned south africa as the origin of ethical um consumer it seems to be a common theme again mm. a, a common moment in a lot of people's um, journey towards change yeah awakening um and a real moment of like sort of ish international consciousness and mass movement towards change so that's definitely um, something maybe to put a pin in and something explore to, ex more. to explore as well yeah and Layla spoke in our systems episode about that as well and that boycott movement and what that sort of made people reflect on um, I mean I, I guess I, you know I think both Anna and um, Molly made um, suggestions around like practical things that people again can do at the moment and um, obviously again we're not unfortunately on the brink of overthrowing this system tomorrow and I think they both spoke about kind of low-hanging fruit and you know whether it's just that you reduce your consumption whether it's that you track your consumption more um, and I spoke about ethical banking as maybe being one of the absolute like first things that people could do and actually if you think about it that might be the easiest because everybody needs a bank it doesn't really cost anything to change a bank I mean fine maybe an ethical bank you pay a few quid a month for versus a non-ethical one but you know it's actually quite minor in the scheme of mm. things versus perhaps mm. 
buying a very expensive organic product versus the cheap mm. high street product, right? That might actually be a harder that might be a harder choice for a family to make, possibly yeah, than and, changing and, their and bank. Again, yeah, and again in our current system, arguably money is the most important and powerful um tool that we have, isn't it? So where we put our money says a lot. So, I mean, people, if you're listening and you'd like us to explore thing, you know, look into ethical banking, it does feel like another and not something to actually dig into a bit deeper. Ethical Consumer has a guide, um, as Anna mentioned, and we will like share that, that as well. Bio, yeah. yeah. Um, so that people can can look at that. Um, and then, of course, there were a lot of tips given there. I mean, I thought it was very interesting, actually, what was said about maybe trying to measure the like cost per wear of like a t-shirt or you know this idea of maybe like false economy and actually yeah okay you've paid a lot of money for this top and you could have bought 10 of those tops from Primark but are they all gonna basically not be usable after a month or whatever whereas this top will last you for life and is there yeah just a bit more understanding people can also just yes. have you know of, of what yeah. what what their where their money is not just where it's going ethically but just practically financially is it paying off for them yeah certainly I think it's it's just about mind mindset shift isn't it and trying to view things differently and how you consume differently um so yeah thank you to both of our guests I do think they were both amazing excellent guests and their perspectives were eye-opening to me and have caused me to think and go on this tangent so (laughs) that's what it's all about right (laughs) so we'd love to hear from you as always has it um given you any insights on ethical consumption that you didn't have has it made you change any habits did you have you already been changing habits that you'd like to share with others covid has been a very interesting time for consumption obviously so much of it has moved online has that made you have to question your choices differently um where do we think consumption is kind of going as a result of that um would be really interested to hear and something that came up a lot today was you know workers rights as one of the ethical aspects and i think that's another thing that we'd like to explore um in future so if anyone has any thoughts or you know guest ideas there then please do let us know um as always we are um untelevised underscore tv on social media um do share this podcast as widely as you can and um yeah i think we'll see you next week we'll see you next time <laughs> or yeah. next episode In next episode <laughs> you're committing us to too much for zayo <laughs> 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 all right <laughs> bye guys you. speak to you soon guys bye call me a dreamer idealistic believer with my head in a cloud i don't want to come down from my feet planning on starting around for my ground my ground is a cloud